Now, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning. You can find it on page 979 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. And so right over at the welcome table, we have a Bible that's just for you. Just feel free to pick that up at any point in time. You know, it never ceases to amaze me just how uh, extraordinary it is that the God of the universe, the God who created all that there is, the God who sustains our lives with the word of his power. I mean, the fact that we can breathe, the fact that our hearts beat, uh, the fact that we can uh, just go through life and have what we need, that is a gift from the Lord, the God of the universe. And yet he loves us and he cares for us and he he instructs us as to how we are to live lives that we were created to live. I mean, this is, this is the eternal, holy, unchanging God who has no need of anything, and yet he makes himself known to us for our good. And though our lives here on earth are but a vapor, they're just a moment in the grand scheme of things, this God of the universe knows every hair on our heads. He knows everything about us, every thought and intention of the heart. He provides for us. He cares for us. He speaks to us so that we might learn how to live in a way that maximizes our joy for his glory. God speaks to every situation, to every circumstance, to every stage of life to lead his people towards himself, towards the life that we were created to live, a life that finds our satisfaction and our true heart's content in pleasures of God. It's amazing. This morning, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, this is just evidence of that fact. God speaks to us all through his word. Young or old, big or small, he speaks to every one of us. God calls each of us to what he created for our best, which is him that which will bring us eternal joy and and peace and blessing and as we seek to glorify him. And so today's passage is addressed to children. And so children, this is for you. So Carson, this message is for you. Renee and Robin and Rebecca, this is still for you, right? Layden, Gabe, this is for you. Okay, Joshua, and I didn't catch your daughter's name. This is for you, okay? Caleb, hoeing, buddy, this is God's word to you, okay? So you want to pay attention to this. Take some notes. Ask mom and dad about what's going on. Lexi, I can't forget you. I already warned you, but this is for you too, okay? All right. I don't think I left anybody out, but it's for you, right? But nevertheless, uh, unless you are, um, you crawled out of some parentless primordial pool, right? This is all for you too, right? Even if you're a big kid, this is for the big Caleb's in addition to the little Caleb's. This is for, um, this is for big kids. This is for parents who have parents. This is for all of us. We're all children. And so this speaks to us all. This passage is calling us to live in a way in relationship with our parents that honors and respects and seeks to obey them. Now, I realize that this is challenging because we all come from very different life stages and very different backgrounds. I mean, for some of you, you're still youth and you're living under the authority of your parents. Your parents are providing and sustaining and caring for you, and that's one thing. But most of us here are adult children who have 
provided and lived and make decisions for themselves. And so what does it mean to honor your parents in that? Well, that's a completely different thing. Some of you have had great and godly parents, and that's a gift. It's a blessing, and it's been uh, a joy and a privilege to be able to honor them and obey them. But others of us may have come from abuseful, negligent, or just really, really unbelievably hard situations. And this speaks to that too. Even though we, we don't have the slightest idea of how to go about respecting and honoring my parents when they did that to me. And it is 100% guarantee that all of our parents are sinners, just as we are sinners. And at times they will and they have overstepped their parental authority to selfishly attempt to manipulate you and lead you to compromise biblical conviction or to just make really poor decisions uh, or lead you into sin. And so how are we to love and honor them in that? Now, we can't possibly cover every situation or every circumstance, but we can look at God's principle for children and God's promise to children. And so that's what we're going to do in our time together. And what I hope to convey, what I hope we understand from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, is that children display the glories of Christ by faithfully obeying their parents. Children display the glories of Christ by faithfully obeying their parents. And so kids, big and small, please listen as I read Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, there's only two points to my message from this text this morning, God's principle for children and God's promise to children. And so we'll spend most of our time, like always, in that first point. I mean, that's just what I do because it sets the stage for everything else. And let's face it, this is where we have all of our issues and all of our difficulties. How do we abide by this principle? And then after that, we will spend about six-sevenths of our time in the promise, okay? So point number one, God's principle for children. And children, and when I say children, I'm speaking to all of us. Your life is a gift from the Lord. Do you understand that? Do you know that? Are you willing to embrace that fact? You were created by the God who made you and all things. And kids from our catechism, why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. Right? In God's wisdom and in his kindness... God knit you together in your mother's womb. With a single cell of your father and a single cell of your mother, you were fearfully and wonderfully made by the eternal and holy God of the universe. So that even at the very conception of your lives, in God's wisdom, in God's power, in God's glory, and in God's grace, he knit you together with your family. Your life comes from theirs. Guys, if you think about that, that is befuddling. And already we see implications kind of arise just from the fact that we were created in that way. We were created, our life coming from our parents' lives. 
That's amazing. Friends, every, every relationship that you have, every blessing and every trial that you have ever endured, every experience that you have ever had is according to the good, wise, and loving plan of the God of the universe for your life, and God never makes mistakes. He knows what he's doing. Every aspect of your lives, including your parents, is a gift from the Lord. Now, if you think about it, God could have done it in a billion other ways, right? Could he not have? I mean, this is God of the universe who spoke stars into being. He could have created me differently. He could have put me in a different place, but he didn't. Why? Well, because God had purpose behind it. You know, God could have made us perfect. He could have made us holy and without sin. And so, poof, there we are. We're just like the angels who are never sinning, right? But he didn't do that. Why? Because God had planned for us to understand more of his glory in salvation through judgment, right? As we, recognizing that we have sinned against God and can only be saved by his grace offered through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross for sin, we come to realize more about God than we would have other no, uh, not known otherwise. I mean, think about it. How would we understand God's justice? How would we understand God's righteousness or his holiness if we were made holy? And on the flip side, how would we understand God's love? How would we understand his mercy? How would we understand his grace? You see, it's through the way that God created us, all the trials, all the blessings, even our sin, that we come to understand more of God's glory. In chapter 2, you know, we've been talking about this. I, I hope you understand that God, God uses means to achieve his ends, right? So God used even the means of salvation, the fact that we were created and had the ability to sin. We did sin and we needed grace, right? That's a means. God has placed us in the context of, of our lives. You know who you are. You live with who you are. You are where you are for the purpose of God revealing himself to you and drawing you towards himself. And so God uses means to do this. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And so God, in his wisdom, provided these contexts for discipleship so that you might come to know him. And so even when we saw in chapter two um, that we, apart from God's saving grace in our lives, we were dead in our sin we were enslaved by our sin. We were justly condemned in our sin. We willfully and longingly sinned against God and we condemned ourselves under his wrath. You know, it says that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, even there, God could have Create a world in such that you're perfect from that point on. God makes you alive, poof, you're perfect, right? But he didn't do that. Why? So that the coming ages, God might forever show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about it. You, for all eternity, from that point forward, when we come to understand God's saving grace in our lives, from that point forward, we are learning for all eternity God's riches, God's glory, God's abundant and lavish grace. We are learning forever the surpassing love of Christ that is beyond our comprehension. Forever we're learning that. 
God chose to do it that way. And even more than that, in God's wisdom, he did not intend for us to learn this truth by ourselves. He placed us within contexts for discipleship. God could have designed a world where all we needed was me and Jesus, right? Just give me a Bible, let me pray, I'm just fine. And so many times we try to live that way, right? But that is not the way that God intended it. And we've seen this over and over and over again through Ephesians, right? I mean, if you've missed the church in Ephesians, guys, you need to come and talk to me, all right? We need to have a sit down. I I can't make it more explicit than what I already have. Well, yes, I can, and I will, all right? So, uh, so, but I mean, in chapter two, verse 11 through chapter four, 16, right? It's all about the church and how God has united us together in Christ. And he's brought us into this local body, into this community. He's given us each gifts that we are to use to help each other to grow, to come to understand all the glories of the gospel. He's given us leaders for the church, uh, to, to guide us and help us in that. But the purpose of all of that is so that we might grow to maturity in Christ, so that we might come to understand more fully the grace of God in Christ Jesus than we would have otherwise. And we need each other to do that. And so we learn in that, I'm, I'm not just simply responsible for my soul at that point, I'm responsible for yours as well. And you are responsible for mine. Good luck with that. And in the same way that God has placed us within the church, this context for discipleship, that we might learn and know more about God and see all that God is doing in our lives, God has placed each and every one of us in households as a context for discipleship. And so, husbands and wives... You are married to the person that you are married to, or maybe you're here as a single and you're not married right here and right now for the purpose of drawing you to dependence upon Christ, to leading to your conformity, to leading to your transformation into the likeness of Christ. And so wives, God knew that it would be hard for you to trust your well-being to your husbands. But God knows what he's doing. And he has placed you with that man so that you might learn to love and trust Christ. And so he gently calls you, submit to and respect your husband as unto the Lord. I know what I'm doing. Husbands. God has joined you to the wife that he has given you to draw you to dependence upon him. And so that means that you need to get up off of your lazy, selfish can and love your bride. And the two of you stop treating and fighting against your spouse's as enemies, and start fighting for each other's souls. And so, children, God has given you parents or family structures that he has given you as a specific means to draw your hearts to himself. God knows what he's doing. God has tailor-made the discipleship process for each and every one of us through the relationships and through the life situations that he has given us so that we might come to depend upon him. 
God knew the exact ways you would struggle to trust Christ. And so God has brought situations and circumstances and people into your lives to lead you to depend upon him. There's a reason you have the parents that you do. There is a purpose behind the life that you are given. These parents that you have are a means of discipleship. They are a means of a training ground for you to learn how to follow Christ. Parents are more than a means of physical protection and provision until you can care for yourself. Because if that was the case, God could have made you a different way, right? You could have been born in an egg, right? Been like a sea turtle. And you stay in the egg until you're ready to push yourself out and be self-sufficient. But God didn't do that. God gave you the parents that he gave you. And that's more than just to clothe you and to feed you and to care for you and to wipe your bottoms and to deal with your snobby attitudes, okay? It's more than that, but to lead you to conformity to Christ. It's to help you to joyfully pursue God's glory. And that's essential background to this passage. We've got to get this. God made you. And God has orchestrated Every situation in your life. He, is, he has purposed the parental structures that you have as a context for your discipleship. Just as he did marriage, just as he did parenthood, just as he does our jobs, and just as he did the church. You've got to get this. This is for your good. All of the blessings and all of the trials that come from your relationship with your mom and dad or whoever that the Lord has placed in your lives as parental authority over you were designed by God for the purpose of you growing to know and to reach maturity in Christ. And I'm saying this knowing that a lot of you guys have been worked over by your parental authorities. But it's a gift. And so children, how do you grow How do you follow Christ within the context of discipleship that God himself has placed you in? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the authority structure. and This is the context of discipleship that God has placed in your life. If you want to obey Christ, then you obey your parents. And you have to understand that to disobey your parents, as long as they're not attempting to lead you away from Christ, is to disobey Christ. It's on that level. Now, obeying Christ is is bigger and broader than obeying your parents, but you cannot truly obey Christ while intentionally disobeying your parents. Why? Because obeying your parents is the right thing to do. Right? We just kind of know this. We get this intuitively. We understand automatically that we should obey our parents. I mean, even in the authority-hating culture that we live in, even in this day and age that just balks at this idea and challenges our understanding and concept and God's design for the family, when we hear, for example, a country like Sweden You've got this idea that parents disciplining their children is considered a violation of child rights, and so corporal punishment is forbidden by law. Even in our messed up culture that we live in, we know that children should obey their parents. We just think that it ought to be simple enough to sing the song, Mothers Know Best, 
Listen to your mothers. On your own, you won't survive. You get what I'm saying, right? It's, but it's just foolish. We know that this is the right thing to do. As God's common grace to you, God has given you parents that have cared for you and have perfect, protected you and provided for you and clothed you and sheltered you. And so you should listen to and obey them. We know this. Right? My kids know that they should do this automatically. Right? They know that they should obey me just because I care for them. And they know without me even saying anything when they have not and that they should have. The fact that it is right for children to obey their parents has been written on each and every heart. It's intuitive. It's natural. God has woven it into the very fabric of creation, and we know that it is right. But even more than that, not only do we know this instinctively, intuitively, but also God has explicitly told us this is the right thing to do. In verse 2 there, God is, uh, Paul is actually quoting from one of the Ten Commandments. Right, he, he says, honor your father and mother, saying you, you are called to love them. You're called to respect them. You're called to honor them and care for them and do what they say and listen to them. This is the right thing to do because I have clearly commanded you to do that. The God of the universe is speaking to all of us who are children as to how we are to live and interact and relate to our parents. And he says, children... For, you, for my glory and for your joy, this is what you are to do. You are to honor your father and mother. And even Paul in this letter, he's, he's addressing the church in Ephesus much like I'm addressing you. You have to understand that what would happen is they would receive this letter and the pastor would stand up in front of the entire congregation just like this and he would read this letter and he would explain it to you children so that you might understand what it means to excuse me, to honor and obey your parents, okay? So this is much like what was happening here. This is the way in which he's in, instructing and informing you, saying, listen, my best for you at this stage in life is for you to listen and to and obey your parents. This is what I've clearly commanded. Do you wanna know what it means for you, child, to live out the gospel, to display the gospel with your life? Well, obey your parents in the Lord, this is the right thing to do because I've commanded it. Now, have you ever considered just how serious an offense it is to disobey your parents? Oftentimes, we don't think it's a big deal because our parents still love us and they forgive us and we kind of move on with life. And so we sort of grow up thinking, well, it's really not that big a deal. If I break this command, it's, it's not really an issue. But God says that to disobey the authority that I have given your parents is to disobey my authority. It's to disobey me. Right? To dishonor your parents is to dishonor me. He puts it on that level. This is the fifth of ten commandments that God has given. Okay, the first four were directed about God, our relationship to God. We're to have no other gods before him. So we are to worship and love and serve and honor God first above all things. He says that we are to, not, we are to worship God in the way that he requires and sets forward. We're not to make any graven images of him. And so God clearly says, this is the way that you are to worship me. He says that we are to honor his name and that we are to honor his day. Those are the first four commandments that he's given. And then he goes and he starts 
starts turning his attention to, okay, this is now how you're to live with each other. And the very first command he gives that is directed to our relationships with each other is he says, honor your father and mother. Before, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. This one first. Why? Because the parents in particular are in a position of authority over you, reflecting and displaying God's authority over you. It's particularly important. And in the Old Testament law, okay, so the, new, uh, the, the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20. But if you read Exodus 21, you get to see what are some of the consequences of disobeying God's commands, okay? And there, you see that children, young or old, who cursed their parents or who struck their parents or who severely dishonored or refused to care for their elderly parents were supposed to be taken outside of the camp and stoned to death, This is how seriously God takes it, right? Now, of course, we know very few instances in which this was actually carried out because you see with the Old Testament Israelites, there were helicopter parents in that day too, okay? But nevertheless, the command and consequence was clearly taught so that we might understand just how seriously God takes this sin. But in the New Testament, disobedience to parents was put next to a laundry list of heinous sins against God. So for example, in Romans chapter one, verses 28 through 32, it says, since they did not see fit to honor God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice the very same things. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. As you see how seriously God takes this command... To honor your father and mother. He says that to dishonor or disobey your parents is the equivalent of hating me. Instead, Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You are to obey your parents in everything, from your heart, You're to honor them with your thoughts, with your words, with your attitudes, and with your actions. This is what God commands you to do. This is what pleases the Lord. This is one of the ways that children, you are to obey God. Now, little children, big children, hear me out here. God 
did not give you parents and then give you this law to ruin your life. Okay? God did not give you the situations, circumstances, and give you this law as a way to just ruin your fun and make your life miserable. Okay, that's not his intent. That's not his purpose. And I know it is not easy to be a child under the authority of sinful parents. I get that. I have been there and I'm still there and will still be there for, Lord willing, quite some time. But I also know what it is to be a sinful parent with the authority over little sinners. And that's something else. I'm not pretending for a second that this simple command is easy to carry out because it's not. And I'm saying this as someone who has, is, or will live out this command perfectly because I can't. But hear me. This command and your parents are gifts from the Lord. God didn't give them to you his law to be mean or oppressive. God gives us the law because he loves you and he cares for you. God wants you to understand who he is and how he has lovingly provided for you. God has given you authority structures and his law so that you might see your own sinfulness and your need for the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ in your life. And just as we intuitively know that we ought to obey our parents, when we hear this command, honor your father and mother, we immediately understand that we have not. When I hear this command, when I heard it as a, as a kid at a young age, I realized that I had sinned. When my kids at a young age heard this command, they realized that they had sinned. All, all children in hearing this command realize it. We realize that we have failed in this way, that we have sinned against God, and we have sinned against our parents, and we cannot perfectly carry this out. Christ is the only child that perfectly obeyed his father. The only one. He's the only one who lived a life of perfect obedience. And he gave up that life by dying on a cross for sin. For the sin of dishonoring and disobeying parents. So that when we realize, when we come to know through the law that we have sinned against God and that we cannot possibly keep this law, that we need Christ's sacrifice for our sin, he applies his grace, he applies his sacrifice to us so that we might have life. He rose from the grave giving us new life so that we now might live for him, not perfectly, but repentantly and in faith that we might by his grace, by the Holy Spirit that he has given to to us, living in us, we might walk in obedience to this command, not perfectly, but continually, and more and more and more. Children, this is God's loving command to you. This is what he expects from you, and Jesus is your only hope for carrying it out. In love, God has given you life. In love, God has sustained your life. 
In love, God has given you the parental authorities that he has given you. In love, God has given you this command so that you might see and recognize that you are sinners in need of a savior. In love, God sent his son to do what you could never do, a child who perfectly obeyed his father in all respects so that in love you might see your need of Christ and turn away from your sin and turn toward Christ. And so, friends, that's the call for all of us. Children, that's the call for all of us. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, up to this point, I've passed over that very important phrase, in the Lord. We have to first recognize that our family structures and this command are gifts from the Lord to help us to see our need of the Lord before we can even think about following this command in the Lord. So what does it mean for children to obey their parents in the Lord? Well, first of all, it means that we are to obey our parents in accordance with the Lord. This command is God's command to us, and we are to obey it. We are, but we are to obey it in such a way that we don't neglect all of the rest of God's commands, okay? And so what that means is if you find yourself in a situation where your parents are asking you to go against God's other commands, you are to humbly and respectfully and carefully and repentantly And in a way that honors them, say no. But yet your intention, your desire, your hope is to walk in the command. Your desire is to obey your parents. Your parents are sinners. They're going to sin. And at times they might lead you into sin. And your parents are not God. They're foolish. They err. They make mistakes. And so at times, they will place themselves, maybe sometimes unknowingly, in opposition to God's other commands. And so you are to obey your parents in accordance with the Lord, right? And that means you put the Lord first. Your obedience to Christ is primary. It is first before all other obedience. Second... This phrase, in the Lord, means that we are to obey our parents as to the Lord. Now, we've already seen this, right? To obey your parents is to obey the Lord. To disobey your parents is to disobey the Lord. And just as wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, and servants, we're going to see, are to obey their masters as they would Christ, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. And this is one of the most practical and the most essential ways that children can obey Christ. And then third, this phrase, in the Lord, means independence upon the Lord. You cannot and you will not be able to carry out this command by your own strength, by your own wisdom, by your own cunning, by your own ability. You cannot do it. You are not good enough. You are not strong enough to obey this command. It is only in dependence upon Christ and the wisdom and the strength and the grace that he gives us continually that you will be able to carry this out. This will require continual prayer. 
This will require consistent learning about God's heart through his word. This will daily require you to walk in the grace that is new every morning. This will regularly require the help of brothers and sisters in the church. This will repeatedly require repentance and faith. And again, you were given this context for discipleship. You were given this relationship that you have with your parents. You were given this command to draw you to dependence upon the Lord. And so if you don't have a one-for-one of how do I live this out, well, that's exactly where the Lord wants you to be. Not so that you can figure it out by your own intellect, but so that you might depend upon him. Now, there are a billion different ways that this passage could apply to our lives. We could go around the room. We could be here for weeks just saying, okay, tell me about your relationship with your parents. What does this look like in this way and in that way? Or what? But, you know, we can't possibly cover all of that. It would be different depending on whether you're young or whether you're old or whether your parents are believers or not or what they're asking you to do or what your prior history of your relationship with them has been. You know, it can't possibly cover everything. But just as a general pattern, let me say this. To... The young children, when I say young children, I mean under the age of 18 and or living under the authority of your parents. I I guess I should clarify that necessarily that living under the authority of your parents might exceed the age of 18 these days. Um, You are to obey your parents. Flat out. If they ask you to do something and they're not asking you to sin, you are to do it. It's that simple. You are to obey your parents. All right, Um, unless they're directing you away from Christ, your heart, your actions, your attitude, your thoughts, your words, they ought to be respectful, honoring, and obedient because this is how you, one of the ways that you follow Christ. Now, if you are a child over the age of 18 and not living in dependence upon your parents, okay, it's sad that I kind of have to make that distinction, We are called to honor and care for our parents. And though you might now have your own home, and you have your own family, and you're leading and you're making your own decisions, you are still to honor and revere and care for them and be willing to prefer them over yourselves and practically, practically care for them. And so, for example, that might mean like Ken and Cheryl who have given up a great job, a coveted ministry position. They've kissed their kids and grandkids goodbye and they moved here to Illinois so that he could take a job at Menards so that they could display and live out and proclaim the gospel to their aging, needy, and unbelieving parents. That's what it might mean. It's practical. The gospel calls us to care for those who cannot care for themselves, especially our elderly parents. I mean, Jesus, when he was speaking to the religious leaders of the day, said, if, if you use your ministry position as an excuse to neglect to provide for your elderly, needy parents, then you make void the word of God. This is serious. And again, these are not one-for-one situation and responses. It takes wisdom in knowing how to live this out. And you need the help of the church to do that. But regardless, it should be our desire practically and really to honor our parents both in our hearts and with our lives. Now, 
Before we move on to the promise, I need to say a word to parents. This command was not given for you. This command was given for Christ. Lest you get puffed up, start thinking to yourself, yep, that's right, you have to obey me. Now sit down and be quiet. That's not the point of it. God's purpose behind this command is more than outward behavioral conformity. Right? It's more than getting your kids to do what you want them to do so that they don't embarrass you in public or end up in jail or you don't find one day that the division of children and family services is knocking on your door. It is far beyond that. You are not at the center of this command. Christ is. The goal is not behavioral conformity or trying to just produce morally compliant children who can be law-abiding citizens. The goal is to help them to worship Christ. That has to be the end for which we serve as parents. You were given these children not to serve you, not to exalt you, not to make much of you, but to steward them and to shepherd them and to love them and to point them to Jesus. Father, forgive us for how much we settle for behavior because we can lead our kids to sit down and be quiet and help them to hate Jesus. Christ is the goal. He is the end. He is the purpose behind this command. So don't abuse it. Don't abuse it. It's not for you. Your job, by the grace of God, is to help your children live their lives to the fullest by finding their joy in God. And that leads us to the second and much, 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 much shorter point, God's promise to children. Now, if you're still sitting here and you're just having trouble believing that God has given you these these parenting structures, these authority structures, these this mom and dad that you have, uh, and he's given you this command as a gift from the Lord for your good, then the rest of this passage ought to confirm it. Because the second half of verse 2 and verse 3 says, this is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now this amazes me that the God of the universe again is eager and ready to bless. I mean, when we think about God giving the commands, right? Prior to God giving his command, giving his law, giving his instruction to his people, God first saved them out of slavery. He first delivered them by his grace from their oppression in Egypt. And he gave them this law so that a holy and perfect God might dwell with a sinful people so that they can live together so that he might bless them. It's the God of the universe. He had every right just to command and say, do it. As if to say, listen, 
I don't need to tell you why. I'm the God of the universe and I said so, so do it. There's a parenting strategy right there that reflects the nature of God. Uh, But nevertheless, God is eager to bless. God gives the command so that when we walk in it, we receive grace. Do you understand how this works? That God first gives grace, right? Then you come to understand that God gives grace, which is grace. And then God calls you to obey his law and he gives you grace to do it. And then at the end of it all, through your obedience, which is compelled and propelled and and empowered by his grace, he gives you more grace. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Amazing. Even though we can never be good enough for, before God, and even if we did all that was required, the only thing that we could say at that point is that we have done our duty. God is pleased to bless us. And in doing so, we see more and more and more of his glory. After saying, honor your father and mother, God promises that if you do so, he will reward you. But for the Israelites, he promised deliverance from enemies. He promised a land of milk and honey. He promised long life in that land that he had given them. But all of these things have been fulfilled and realized in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is not suggesting here that you pray some prayer of Jabez here. He's not saying that if you honor your parents, you will absolutely be given earthly prosperity, long life, and more land, okay? He's, this is not a command that if you do this, you will gain health, wealth, and prosperity. He's simply quoting from the original command along with similar promises that are found throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Okay, so we don't read the blessing as a one-for-one. So what does he mean? How do we understand this blessing? How do we understand this promise in light of Christ? Well, it doesn't mean that there won't be suffering because Christ had promised that those who follow him would suffer. It doesn't mean material wealth because we see that the church is filled with poor people. Does that mean that we don't have enough faith? Certainly not. And doesn't mean long, comfortable lives that continue on forever because the New Testament is full of persecution and the death of Christians. So what does it mean? Well, it points us beyond what is earthly and momentary to what is eternal and spiritual. And when I say that, don't think of then. You need to think now until and beyond then. It's a promise that God will forever satisfy your souls in Christ. It is a promise that you will find your joy despite all circumstances and trials and difficulties and loss and hardships and unpleasantries. Uh, It's a promise that you will live your life to its fullest, the life that you were meant to live, the the life that God had created you to live, a life that is perfectly reconciled to him for all eternity. 
That's what he's saying here. It's a promise that if you are in Christ, you have already received, just as we saw in chapter 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've seen in chapter 1, verse 13, that you have received the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the promise that God will, as we saw in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that God will enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might see what is the hope to which he has called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us in Christ Jesus? And all of that is already ours. And we'll be so more and more and more and more for all eternity. This is a promise that you will have your best life now, but not in terms of stuff or comforts or health or circumstances working out according to your plans, but that your hearts will be filled with Christ even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of trials, but in the end, it is everlasting joy. And that, my friends, is far, far greater. And the result is a legacy, a legacy of the children of God living with God in his place under his rule and his blessing, generation after generation after generation after generation, receiving his grace so that we might know him, receiving his ever-present grace so that we might obey him, receiving his lavish and exceeding and overabundant grace as the reward for our obedience to him. Blessing, blessing, blessing. And from one generation to another, as our souls are satisfied in him, we will be part of a legacy that declares the goodness and the greatness of God in Christ Jesus for glory and for our joy. Children, this is the promise that we will receive when we obey our parents in the Lord. So children, display the glories of Christ through faithfully obeying your parents. Let's pray together. Father, I just stand amazed at who you are and what you've done for us. And God, I pray that our kids would see it. Pray that they would see that you are not a tyrant, that you are not a killjoy, that you are not a cruel master, but the God of the universe who gives us everything in our lives for our best as a means of recognizing that you desire to bless, that you will sustain that you truly fulfill our every want and every need. Lord, I pray that for our kids, that they would see the truth and beauty of Jesus. That they would entrust their souls to the creator of the universe who will never fail, who will never break or crush or destroy. 
but will lead his children home where there is exceeding and abundant joy. Lord, help us to see our need of Jesus, to turn away from living our lives apart from him, as if this is my world and I'm God, and living for him, for the glory of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.